BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey folks, I'm Alex Dowd. And I'm Katie Reif. Laurie Strode and her arch nemesis, the silent stalker Michael Myers, are back this weekend with Halloween Kills, the 13th entry in the long-running horror franchise. To celebrate their return to the fictional town of Haddonfield, Illinois, we're looking back on the history, the ups, and the downs of the series that began one chilly night in late October 1978. Welcome to Film Club. And that, of course, folks, was the iconic strains of John Carpenter's original Halloween score, that uh, sort of familiar tinkle of, of piano that uh, he's been using, that the franchise has been using since uh, since the first film in 1978. Yeah, and it's really effective. Even when the movie is pretty bad, that score works. It kind of gets under your skin. Like, uh, So the reason we're doing this episode today is because Halloween Kills is out this Friday and came back from the screening last night. Um, we'll do a bonus episode with our opinions on the film. <laughs> um, the fact I laughed should tell you a lot. But I went home last night and, uh, you know, I was pulling up to my door and I and I was thinking about the Halloween music and ooh, a little spooky for a minute. <laughs> yeah. A little spooky. Unlocking my front door. It's such an effective score. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of that is its minimalism. It's interesting that um, Carpenter has made... Carpenter has dined out on that score for a long time now. Oh, my God. He's toured on it for years. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and his other scores, too. I mean, I think maybe in his heart of hearts, he always wanted to be a rock star, and now he gets to be one, so good for him. I think early on, it was kind of a matter of necessity for Carpenter. Absolutely. Like, he just could not hire a composer, so he was like, well, I'll I'll do the score myself. (laughs) And, um, I I mean, I imagine over the years, he's grown compositionally – he probably is a more sophisticated composer now. Sure, than he used sure, to be. sure. But plays I also, with two hands instead of just one. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that that the foundation of his work as as a musician and as a composer, I think, is a, a kind of minimalism, and it really works for Halloween. In that, like, it's such a simple piece, but mm-hmm. it's so effective. And um, mm-hmm. even as we've seen again, Carpenter has done various versions of it over the years. Even the second film in the series. From the early '80s, has a, a there's more synthesizer in it um, mm-hmm. to, to update it for the new decade. Yeah, um, but it's still essentially the same score, and you, you can kind of hear that in the in the modern renditions he's done for the new Halloween films, the David Gordon Green ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they there have, was a Trent Reznor remix when the 2018 one came out that was pretty great. Yeah, he like works in drone a little bit, and there's mm-hmm. some other sounds, but at its core, the foundation of it is still uh, is one still, hand, baby. Do, do, yep, do, 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 yep. do, do. And I feel like that's actually kind of a metaphor for the Halloween series in a way. Oh, which 100%. Is that as much as the series, uh, you know, tweaks its formula here and there, really at its core, it's a very, very simple thing. Yes, the good Halloween movies are very simple. And I think it's even like Carpenter as a director, because I think that for me, what I admire about John Carpenter is like his craftsmanship is really, really solid. Yeah. Um, and I think that he kind of sees all that in a very functional kind of way. He sees filmmaking as a very functional kind of thing. It's like a job. You take a job and then you do the best you can. You work with what you got. And he's... I think he's a little amused when I read interviews for people assigning kind of like auteur uh, signatures to him. He's like, I just worked you know that's one of my favorite things about him he's 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 kind of grumpy about it he really <laughs> talk about it. he hates talking about Halloween so much <laughs> and one of my favorite things is when they ask him now about the remakes because mm-hmm. many of John Carpenter's films not just Halloween but many of his other films mm-hmm. have been remade over the years Quite a few. and when they ask him about it he says am I getting paid they're like yeah and he's like I'm fine with them <laughs> He's, he's like, bitch, pay me, basically. Him and Harrison yeah, Ford, they're just thing. like, where's the check? I know. I know, but you're right that I think that um, the uh, 
the, the the values of him as somebody who is who sees filmmaking as um, as a job, mm-hmm. I think uh, play out across the screen sometimes. And he's I, I think there's a clarity to his filmmaking mm-hmm. that uh, comes I think from somebody who is interested in doing a good job in a way. You yeah, know? exactly. And um, he really admires Howard Hawks, and you see mm-hmm. a lot of that in his filmmaking totally. as well. He's not a big showboat either, mm-hmm. even though I would say that. One of the pleasures of his movies is obviously the way he stages things and 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 set pieces. But he's not somebody who's ever watching his films. I, I never get the impression that he is trying to upstage the material. No, no, he's he he doesn't really like show off right. in terms of camera work. If there's any showing off involved, it is that he strips the elements down to their leanest form and kind of lets that be. I don't not even showboating, but like lets. He's showing off by being like, look how lean and efficient I can make this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's accidental showboating in the sense mm. that there are so many filmmakers who are not as um, as talented with space as he is mm-hmm. and, and with um, clarity of action. Yeah, and staging and yeah. just these really like nuts and bolts elements of filmmaking. Right, and it just can't help but come off as um, – as so much superior to a lot of other filmmakers. You know, so. <laughs> I don't think he's trying to flex on them, but yes. yeah. Um, so obviously, well, not. Or I feel like we could do a whole episode on John Carpenter, mm. and maybe we should down the road. Yeah. Um, today, we are not talking exclusively about John Carpenter, although we will talk about uh, his seminal first entry in this series, Halloween. But we're also going to talk about the rest of the films in this series. And uh, as Katie mentioned up front, we're, we have a bonus episode of Halloween ki- on, on Halloween Kills, the new film. Uh, so we're not going to talk too much about mm-hmm. that in this episode. But if you'd like to hear that, that's also on the site today. Um, spoiler alert. Neither of us were here. Yeah. <laughs> that whole thing we just talked about, about efficiency and clarity, this movie yeah. uh, really did not take that lesson. <laughs> totally. <Ow. laughs> um, so the Halloween series uh, has been going again since 1978 when the original came out. So that's over 40 years now. Mm-hmm, um, 43. It, it, it has endured. Um, oh, yeah. It, uh, it's now on the – if you count the remakes, and why not, um, I, this is the 12th film in the Halloween franchise, which mm-hmm. officially ties it with Friday the 13th. Yep. It's, it's most profitable ripoff, I guess I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, most – I think that most of the slasher films stem from Halloween in one way or another. Like, it wasn't the first – no. You know, you no. can you can talk about the origins of slasher all day long. There's like there's Bay of Blood, there's Black Christmas, there's lots of kind of proto slasher movies. Psycho and Peeping Tom, even yep. you know, if mm-hmm. you want to go back far enough. Mm-hmm. But I think that Halloween really created the template that everyone's been using ever since. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, if if you were watching slasher movies in the '80s, you saw a lot of uh, indirect Halloween in them. And direct. And direct. After Halloween came out, there was New Year's Evil. There was My Bloody Valentine. Mm -hmm. There was even Friday the 13th. It's a date on the calendar, just like Halloween. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But in terms of slasher franchises, I think the only one that beats Halloween and Friday the 13th for sheer volume of entries. Mm Is the Puppet Master series? Yeah, which uh, uh, <laughs> is its own very special thing. It is. We can also do an episode on that sometime. I, I grew up on those movies and have mm-hmm. an affection for them, but I, I pretty much got off that train after the fifth one. Um, yeah, I mean, they're for some stupid reason. I watched all of them. Oh, you've seen all of the Puppet Master movies? Just sometimes I have completist tendencies, and <laughs> I shoot myself in the foot with them a lot. Like I watch every Airbud. I watch every. <laughs> Every puppet master, I don't know why. I just like have to. <laughs> Here's something you should not do, I can tell you. What? Is watch every Camp Blood movie. Oh my god. I haven't even seen one and it sounds like I shouldn't even mess with it. I mean, those are those are sub professional films. Oof. Those are not I mean, um yeah. Like at least full moon movies and Puppet Master series is full moon movies if you're not familiar with those. At least they're like competently lit for the most part. They have a um, full moon films I feel like have a degree of kind of uh, bootleg grandeur to them is mm. what I would describe. They always feel like they're reaching for more than they can accomplish on their budgets. Mm-hmm. But because of that, sometimes it brings them up to this level of um, of of near competence one might say. <laughs> Like the third Puppet Master film is set during World War II, and they did not have the resources to do a World War II period piece. Mm-mm. But 
there, the ambition is there, and they you had can like see an them army navy and, store budget. Yeah, for pretty sure. much. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, we're not talking about those movies today either. <laughs> but yeah, you know, those, here's a transition for you. Those were all direct to video, and I believe all the Halloweens have been theatrical. They have been. Yes, uh, Halloween has been a consistent theatrical attraction since the '70s. There was obviously one in the '70s, several in the '80s, a couple in the '90s, and has continued into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, at this film, uh, at, at this point, 11 of those 12 films star Michael Myers. There's one outlier, which I'm sure we will discuss at some <laughs> point in this episode. Um, we've seen a remake, obviously, Rob Zombie's remake in 2007 and a sequel to that remake. Yep. Uh, which are being reevaluated at this moment in time. Well, it's very interesting. Zombie though. has his, uh, his, his fervent defenders. Yes, and, he does. Uh, I... I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the juice on this one. I say I, I'll. Pro- we'll probably get to there later when we talk a little little bit about the remakes. But uh, I do happen to think that the second his second film is actually maybe not so terrible. Mm, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the series has uh, has retconned entries a couple yep. times as well. Um, when, I mean, when slasher franchises run this long, they they gotta press restart every once in a while. Yeah, the continuity gets a little exactly. gets a little naughty at exactly. a certain point. Um, this is a franchise. <laughs> that uh, the first one to do it was Halloween H20, mm-hmm. which came out uh, in right in the heart of the Scream era during the, yeah. the slasher revi- the very brief slasher revival. And that film basically said you can disregard all of the sequels except except for the first sequel. So just the first two movies are are canon now. The rest of them out the fucking window. Mm-hmm. And then Halloween 2018 came out and said, actually you can disregard every movie in this series except except for the, the first one. Right? Yep. Yep. So yep. both of those films uh, sort of positioning themselves as direct sequels. Uh, Laurie Strode has been killed twice in mm-hmm. this series. Uh, once off screen, she died between movies in the eighties. Yep, in a car crash or something. They, yeah, there's so like they a had picture to, of her. And <laughs> so they brought in like her niece, right? The yep. little girl in four and five is supposed to be her niece. I think. Yep, kept yeah. it in the family, and then we we got a we got a uh, a grown up Tommy Doyle in uh, the sixth one, played mm-hmm. by a young Paul Rudd. <laughs> um, and that role has since been recast in the new film. Uh, Laurie also dies on screen in one of the Halloween films. I, I guess I won't say which one, but it's it 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 was a felt like a particular betrayal to me as somebody who who thought that the Laurie uh, Michael story was brought to a pretty good close by the previous entry. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes she's Michael's sister. Sometimes she isn't. Right. <laughs> um, so the series has been is is now at this point has been going for long enough that you can. You can kind of build your own canon depending on what you would like to count as part of the Halloween Absolutely. continuity. You know? But, you know, all of this aside, it even with all the retcons and stops and starts and, you know, deaths and bringing people back, it's still clearer than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah. That shit makes no sense at all. <laughs> and this, you know, you got to you got to create it's if you were to draw it out, you'd be drawing multiple lines, but you could chart it out, you know, yeah. like the continuity of the series if you wanted to. Totally. Uh, do you think eventually we're going to uh, – if this multiverse thing they're trying to pull over and Marvel takes off, maybe we'll get a Halloween sequel down the line that tries to uh, bring together the different universes of Halloween? Oh, my God. So we have Rob Zombie's Halloween A multiverse. Yes, it'd be Please. like it'd be like Phantasm, you know, where there's like multiple <laughs> yeah. dimensions and there's like different Michaels in different dimensions. That's such a they, terrible idea. And then they all come together and and I don't know, kill three times as many people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, yeah, like when you talk about slasher formula, like Halloween, the original, is the classic, and a lot of and all the other ones really follow the same formula, which is that Michael Myers escapes. Michael Myers is coming after Lori. Michael Myers is going to kill a whole bunch of people trying to find Lori. Yeah. That's I mean, it. it basically is that over and over again. Mm-hmm. And and obviously uh, some of those details change a little bit. Again, the, the four through six, Lori was not part of the True. film at all. So she was removed from the equation. She was, he, but he was trying to find a Strode. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, let's talk about what distinguishes the Halloween movies mm-hmm. from other slasher franchises. Right. Um, I think part of it is is setting. Um, these are films that always take place on yes, Halloween. Yes, always. I think that is true of every entry in the Halloween franchise, it, except possibly you just rewatched H two O. That's not Halloween, is it? Uh, it is it's, Halloween because the the rest of the kids in the boarding school are going on a trip. 
and the, I thought it was Thanksgiving. Are they not leaving to go home for the holidays? Is that why everybody? No, they're gone? going. They're going on a school trip to Yosemite, oh. and the kids that stay behind uh, have a little Halloween party, which. Maybe somebody crashes it. <laughs> so that one is set on Halloween as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're all they're all set on Halloween. Um, most of them are set in Haddonfield. H2O, I think, is the exception. Yes. Um, possibly Halloween 3 as well. I don't think that goes No, uh, Hall- well, Halloween 3. It's its own that's a ho- It's its own line on this continuity thing. Because yeah. after Halloween became a big hit, they made Halloween 2. And then after that, they toyed with the idea of making Halloween into an anthology franchise where it's just the name Halloween, but it's a different story with every time. And they tried it with Halloween 3. And film goers were very upset that Michael Myers was not in the movie. And so they went back to making the Michael Myers movies, and yeah, now Halloween 3 is the outlier. It's been thoroughly reclaimed in the meantime, though. I oh, don't, yeah. I, you can't call it a maligned sequel anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, I would guess that that might depend on who you talk to. I suppose I so, like. but I feel like— I think like, in horror circles, it's pretty well regarded at Yeah, it's been pretty um, well reclaimed, I think. Yeah. Um, I think the—yeah, uh, the other thing that I think that, uh, that Halloween has that not all the, the slasher franchise have is that element of sort of consistent protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is often Laurie Strode or a member of her family or somebody mm-hmm. connected to her. Um, a lot of the, the other slasher franchises, the, the hero of those movies, it, you could make the case, is the killer— you know? Yeah, um, and, and like certain characters come in and out. Like Nancy comes in and out in the uh, Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street movies, the protagonist of the first movie. She, she, you know, leaves and comes back. That's true. Um, sometimes what will happen, too, is that some of them, the protagonist will show up at the beginning of the next movie um, and then be killed off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Passing the torch. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no guarantee. Just as there's no guarantee that you've ever killed Jason or Freddy or Michael Myers, there's no guarantee that just because you live to the end of a slasher movie that you will survive through the next one. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, but but the Halloween movies, you know, whether they're doing the uh, conceit that Laurie and Michael are related or not, there mm-hmm. are there is a strode of some sort in all of these movies. Yeah. Um, and that is something that, you know, the meta slasher series, which came later in the 90s, the Scream series ran with mm-hmm. that, too. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Scream series is another one where uh, for sure where. Um, Nev Campbell's character with Sydney in those films, it, she is the main character. The killer actually changes in every one of those. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. so uh, th- that's uh, that's actually even that that that's even different from Halloween in a sense. That yeah, really, there really is an investment in protagonist there. Yeah, well, yeah. in Halloween, the protagonist and the antagonist are both fixed. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think the the other aspect about them is that uh, I feel like the Halloween series kind of plays coy about how supernatural Michael is or isn't. Yeah, it depends on the film, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, I mean, he obviously he, he survives things that no normal person could survive. Of course. <laughs> um, but plenty of the entries also sort of make the case that he might just be a an evil man. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, mm-hmm. in the first one, there's no suggestion necessarily – that he's supernatural. Right. He's just like, he doesn't, you never see his face. They play coy with it a lot in the movies by showing like the back of the head or the side of the face. But um, there's like a brief moment in the original where Laurie rips off his mask and you see like the side of the actor's face in shadow. Yeah. But you know, you never really get a good look at him. And so he's, he's not, he's a very abstract kind of character. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because um, in a lot of these movies they do point of view shots that are from Michael's point of view. Yeah. But however, he doesn't really have a defined personality. Like even if they are framing him as completely human, he is a blank. You know, he's a question mark. Yeah, I mean, Jason Jason Voorhees has more personality than Michael Myers. Yeah, like literally, all he, he tilts his head he to the tilts side. His head. He's curious occasionally. And that's it. That's it. That's he the seems only to kind of have a sixth sense of humor underneath the, the, the strong and silent type <laughs> act that he has. Uh, whereas Michael, I mean, M- Michael will do fucked up stuff, and particularly the new one is like really – Really kind of pushes him towards like he's like a serial killer yeah, sadistic, arranging bodies and sadistic. Stuff. Yeah, there's uh, a territory. real sadism in the new mm-hmm. one, um, and that that's kind of in, that's an inconsistent element of his character. It is. It is. Sometimes he's just like kill, move on. Yep. You know, like he's an very animal efficient, almost. just like the movies. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a correlation between how efficient the film is and how. Um, sadistic or lingering Michael is himself. Yeah. You know? Yeah, could be. Because the second film in the franchise, Halloween 2, released in 1981, uh, that film finds Michael uh, in a much more um, 
it's it's a lot less nuts and bolts in the way he kills people. He finds mm-hmm. more elaborate ways to kill people in that one. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna lock you inside a I'm gonna lock you inside a sauna and turn the heat up or something, you know. And I feel like that film is in many ways a lot less efficient than the original as well. Yep. Yep, absolutely. But yeah, that simplicity is a big part, I think, of the appeal of the franchise. It's like the the barrier to entry is pretty low because the the um, the premise is so straightforward. So yeah, I, I think that's part of what makes these films super profitable. And I mean, the efficiency also means that they can be made on very low budgets and make quite a bit yeah, of money. For sure, for sure. So, you know, we were talking earlier about... There's a point where you think they should have ended the franchise. And I was like, yeah, but they make a lot of money, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a horror movie villain is never dead if there's more money to be made. A- absolutely. Will always be brought back. So are you saying the true monster is capitalism? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Hot take. <laughs> no, I, I think you're on to something with uh, the kind of primal simplicity of these movies. I think mm-hmm. they really they, they really are very easy to scan. There might be – I mean, I feel like the original made money overseas as well. And I, and I feel like um, there is something very just extremely simple and legible about them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just – it's the holiday. It's Halloween. There's the boogeyman. He's coming for he's you. He's coming for you. And yeah, that's, it. that's it. And it doesn't get more – I mean, some of the movies complicate that a little bit. Um, you know, in the case of the the truly abysmal Halloween Resurrection, there's mm-hmm. like a there's like a reality TV element of that one or something. Yeah, I mean, what year was that? It was like the early 2000s. Yeah, that was like the thing. Yeah, right, that was the thing at the time. <laughs> yeah, um, you see a little bit of like, you know, because they are very simple and elemental. But you see little bits here and there of like reflecting the culture. Like we were saying that H uh, two uh, O is the post scream Halloween, mm-hmm. and then you have that reality TV element. And then the twenty eighteen Halloween had this whole like, oh well, it's really about trauma thing. When that was mm-hmm. like, you know, like. Uh, that that style of horror was really peaking in 2018. Very in vogue then, yeah. yeah. There's also a couple of podcasters who get, true crime podcasters yes. who get killed in the 2018 <laughs> one. Which, talk about dating your movie. Like, oh, okay, well, oh, yep, this is definitely a movie from from uh, the 2010s if, <laughs> if sure. two of the people for killed sure. our podcasters. For sure, yeah. And like, and the original Halloween, if it wasn't for like the costumes and the cars, it could be any time. It could totally. be anywhere. Yep. And I think that's part of what is scary about it because it can really transfer over to like you. It's really just the basic thing of this is death is coming for you. Yeah, and that yeah. is like the most elemental thing possible. Yeah. And you cannot stop it. Yep. Yeah. There, there's a real um, – there's also a – there's a real every town quality about Haddonfield, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, it's supposed uh, to be Illinois, but it was shot in Southern California, well, so exactly. number one. <laughs> exactly. And apparently there's a couple shots where you can see palm trees. I, I don't uh, – I haven't watched I've never, it that closely. I've, I've never spotted them, to be honest with you. Um, I do know that they supposedly had to bring in bags of, um, of leaves. Leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the leaves don't that. change in L.A., obviously. Uh-huh. Um, but it does a really, really good job, I'll say, of evoking – um, Midwest autumn. Yeah, it does. Know? Yeah, like I watch that movie and I feel it, it's funny because as, as scary as that movie is and as suspenseful as it is, and that first hour is just such a pure masterclass in suspense. It also, it's weirdly comforting. It feels like home to me watching those. Yeah, it scenes. does because it's yeah. because it it evokes the Midwest in fall. It evokes the holiday. Totally. It evokes a chill in the air, even though yeah, none of that was really going on when they made it. And, you know, all the things that we're talking about here, the simplicity, the setting, the template, how evocative it is, how primal it is, just the the um, the casual mastery of the craft of the movie. Mm-hmm. All those things come together to think that I think this is at least in the top three best horror films ever made. Wow. Because yeah. of all of those reasons. Sure. Yeah. Because you can you could have seen it a hundred times and it's still scary because it's so lean and suspenseful that that closet scene at the end is gonna get you no matter how many times you've seen the movie. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's um there's a classical quality to mm-hmm. it almost. I remember there there were a few critics who were hip enough in nineteen seventy eight to acknowledge yeah. that there was something kind of Hitchcockian about this. This really was a different time in terms of criticism. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and you know, there there were I mean, it, it did get some good reviews. I mean, mm-hmm. there were some who who couldn't see past it's kind of um, disreputability, one might say, as right. uh, just a horror movie. Right. And as a very low-budget horror movie, too. I mean, yeah. this is one that was made for 
three hundred grand, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the kind of like crap that um, was trying to copy it might, you know, taint it a little bit because I think I think the original movie like. It's maybe not quite classy, but it is Hitchcockian. I think it's, it's kind of classy. It's a suspense movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's really not that much violence in it. I mean, people, for a series that, that um, for a film that, that inspired so many very violent films. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, including whole, some of these sequels. Including some of the sequels. The sequels jumped aboard. In fact, one of my favorite facts is that Halloween 2, uh, the second film in the series, John Carpenter did not direct it. He did, however, yeah, come Yeah, because it was in. a job to him. He was like, what? No. Like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, he, <laughs> he doesn't want to work. That's one of the things I love about him. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> he like, likes to play video games. Yeah, he that's just wants to smoke now. weed and play video games. Like, that's all he cares about. Like, um, you know, it's kind of a well-known thing in critics, journalist circles that John Carpenter is a tough interview. And a lot of people try to get him to talk by talking about, like, basketball and video games. Well-known <laughs> to be his only interests. <laughs> That's a, uh, that would be interesting to talk to him about video games because there is some – I feel like there's some uh, – there actually is a little bit of visual overlap occasionally in the way he uses the camera and, mm-hmm. and, and the way that video games – Well, they're copying him though because he was doing it in the 70s. Right. That's true. Yep. <laughs> um, but in, in any case, Carpenter did not direct Halloween 2, but he did come in and do some reshoots on the film mm-hmm. to add bo- more gore and more elaborate violence in it because suddenly by 1981 – three years after the first Halloween came out, suddenly, like, his approach to that material seemed quaint. It wasn't mm-hmm. violent enough. You know? Right, it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> you know, It's one of those movies, I think a great horror film, one of the hallmarks of them, is that people remember it as being more violent than it actually is, and yeah. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the same way. That's another one, for sure, yeah. People people think of that as, like, some sort of big gore fest, but you but really don't see that much. No, it's not. I mean, it, it goes back to Psycho, I think, in the sense that um, a lot of it, a lot of the violence in both of those films, I think, is more like the way that, you know, like we never see the knife go into into Marion Crane's body in right. Psycho. You know, we just right. hear it. And, and there's a lot of that, well, maybe not that specific choice. There's a lot of that general philosophy and principle, I think. In Halloween. In, in Halloween. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite sequences in the film is when the first of the babysitters gets killed. Mm-hmm. And the way that Carpenter delays that kind of agonizingly delays it because she goes out to the garage and you think, particularly if you've grown up on all the movies that came after Halloween, yeah. you think, oh, well, this is it. She's going to get it now. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't. She's fine. She puts some laundry she in the washing machine. She puts some laundry machine. in the washing machine. She walks back inside. And then a little bit later, she goes back out. Mm-hmm. And she, I think she ends up getting in the car, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. And that's when he gets her. But yeah. but Carpenter does that a few times throughout the yeah, film. She where, um she locks herself into the laundry room room right. and crawls out the window and you're like, oh, here it comes. But again, it doesn't, doesn't happen. happen. Yeah. And then she gets in the car. And then yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's um it's like a game of how long can we delay this? Because that's uh, again, that's another Hitchcock um strategy. What did mm-hmm. he say once that that if a bomb blows up underneath a table, that's a shock. A bomb that does not blow up underneath the table it, is suspense. Perfect. You know? <laughs> and I feel like you, you can use that principle to describe a lot of Halloween. Yeah, um, totally. Because ultimately, what does he kill? Five people in the film? Something like yeah, something like that. And there's one there's one big um, shock shot where he arranges a body next to like a gravestone. Right. That's exactly. like the big shock moment in the movie. Yeah, there's not a ton of like jump scares in the film. No, not really. There's a part where he drapes himself with the sheet, but mm-hmm. and he creeps up behind PJ Souls. I love yeah. that's my favorite scene in the movie. I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just really love that hour where he's just kind of creeping around, stalking them. And uh, I wrote this down. Pauline Kael wrote something about Halloween she came, when it came out, and she meant this negatively, honestly. But mm-hmm. what she wrote was. Um, The film is largely just a matter of the camera tracking subjectively from the mad killer's point of view, leading you to suspect something awful to happen. But the camera also tracks subjectively when he isn't around at all. I I think Mm. she meant that as a criticism, but to me that describes part of what makes the film so brilliant. That's what makes it scary, yeah, because it puts you into, like I said before, it reminds you, death is going to get you. The boogeyman's going to get you. It's this ever-present sense of danger in those mm-hmm. scenes, that, mm-hmm. that he is around even when we don't see him. He is always there. He is always watching them. And uh, the movie becomes a co-conspirator in his, in his, in his stalking. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 camera, the camera adopts that kind of predatory 
approach because it's it's kind of it's almost working with Michael in a sense. Yeah, and I think that that um, sort of that technique may have. And also just that less talented filmmakers trying to achieve the same effect that Carpenter achieved just simply ramped up the blood and guts. You know, I think that, like, they were trying to scare people the way that the original Halloween did. They just didn't have the filmmaking chops. And so they were like, well, I guess I'll just put a bunch of blood in instead. I think that combined with the subjective point of view might have led people to kind of have, like, a moral panic about slasher movies. Mm. You know, because there was that line that, like... You know, it's just misogynistic watching women die and mm-hmm. like vicariously murdering women watching slasher movies. And I think that um, in the end, Carol J. Clover's analysis, there's a book called Men, Women and Chainsaws. That's a pretty famous book in like horror criticism circles. Um, and that came out in the late 80s. I don't remember the exact year, but her she coined the term final girl which Laurie Strode is kind of an iconic example of. And her argument was that you don't identify with the killer, you identify with the final girl. And in that way, it's actually a vehicle of empathy for men to empathize with a woman. (laughs) But I do feel like part of her her idea, and uh, it's been a while since I've I've read this book. I read this book in college, actually. Mm, Me too. Um, But I remember part of her argument being that the final girl is distinguished from some of her friends because she follows some of those rules that Randy later outlines in screen. Yes, you can't like there is a puritanical uh, uh, reactionary strain to slasher moves. I don't think you can argue that away. Yeah, it's like the fact that like the kids who have sex die first. Yep. Yeah, yep. you can't erase that. And I, I wonder how much of it is intentional, particularly in the first Halloween. I think from there, it just became a trope. It just mm-hmm. became through imitation, something become is sort of just leaks into the the architecture of these yeah, movies. Yeah, it's difficult you know? to overstate how much other filmmakers lifted from the original yeah. Halloween. Yeah. It's really kind of hard to overstate that. I mean, they are all direct or indirect knockoffs of Halloween mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like all of those conventions, you know, the uh, the group of teens who are who are having more fun than they should, mm-hmm. you know, the mass killer. I think Friday the holiday. 13th is the one that really took those uh, that that sort of undertone in Halloween and took it to a very Reagan era place. Yeah, I think it was the Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. Really did that. But I mean, you know, the movie opens with with young Michael killing his sister, who's just had sex with yep. with uh, with her boyfriend. You yep. know, so it's not hard to see where people draw that line that you know mm-hmm. that sex and doing drugs is is what gets you killed in these movies. Mm-hmm. I've always I've had a hard time sometimes making the leap that the movie is saying. That the movie is necessarily saying that they deserve it. Uh, that might right. that might depend on the film. Uh, I also think that there's a reading of Halloween that's actually kind of progressive, which suggests that that Michael is kind of this lost child of suburbia. That his mm. parents, who are this sort of uh, they're these sort of absentee parents. Yeah, his parents aren't home when he kills his sister. That's right, for exactly, sure. You know, yep. and that he's um, that he is in this he's in this kind of perfect neighborhood and has this perfect life. But he, but the, his, his, you know, he has no. Oh, like him as like the 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 repressed id of suburbia. Yeah, sort of. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's not a purely conservative idea. No, it's not. And like, and I'm meaning you could also see it as like, when are you just really not paying attention to what's going on around you? <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> when you're busy with other things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so obviously uh, Halloween was a huge hit. It made a ton of money on a on a pretty small budget. It was a word of mouth hit. Mm-hmm. There's this amazing clip that – have we played this on the show before? I can't remember. There's this amazing clip of people reacting opening weekend to a scene in Halloween. Um, I think we might have played it in our episode about uh, movie theaters that we did yeah. last year where we talked about Psycho at length. Yeah, you know, fuck it. Let's play it again. Okay, so that was... Uh, that was the clip of people freaking out. It's a really good clip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, it really makes you a little envious that you couldn't have been there for that. You know? It, I mean, you know, you want to talk about a different time. Like, it, it was a word of mouth hit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Halloween kind of did the slow crawl across the country in a way that we really just don't have anymore. Everything, mm-hmm. everything basically at this point, um, other than, uh, 
I mean, I guess Halloween is an indie, but but it, it was released by a major studio. Um, I feel like Halloween uh, Halloween would basically, if if it were made today, would be released in a bunch of theaters at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was this, I mean, you know, we could get into a lot of history about different theatrical models and the rise of the multiplex and, you know, how, like, white flight actually factors into different, mm-hmm. um, to changing uh, distribution models and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's a whole episode in <laughs> That's itself. That's a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but from Halloween, we obviously, we got a number of sequels. Uh, again, you mentioned that the third film sort of breaks from the pattern. But other than that, they they all feature Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the series kind of went uh, about as far as it could go into the early 2000s. And then there were a couple of remakes, and mm-hmm. then the David Gordon Green films have brought it back around to something like standard continuity, although, again, a lot of them have been stricken from the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, which— Even though they lift plot points from the movies that they struck from their record, which yeah. is a little— That's the thing. To, to be to be all to high me. and mighty about retconning these supposedly lesser sequels and then to basically just rip off things that they're doing, yep. I don't know. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Of the sequels, which ones do you think are, are worthwhile? Because there's, there, there, I think we can agree that, that plenty of the Halloween sequels are not so great. Yeah, the problem with Halloween, like if you want to talk about, you know, comparing different franchises, the thing with Halloween is that I think the first film is like superior to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's superior to Friday the 13th, obviously, because it was ripping off this one. You know, like the first film stands really, really high in my mind. In terms of horror movies, but yeah, they drop off like yeah. pretty hard. But I'm <laughs> like, also as a series, it's not super consistent. No, but I will say that I think that there's not, and and I, I don't, we won't get into this too much because we actually uh, I'll, I'll tease something that we're doing on the site in a couple of weeks. But in a couple of weeks, we will be talking in a kind of extended week long way about slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't get into what the format will be, but. I will say that Halloween, I do think, shakes out to be one of the better slasher franchises, mm. even as it contains some truly horrible films. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Uh, what's your thought there? Um, I think what it has to do is that there are some. There are some. It, it's been going long enough, and has been kind of rethought enough times along the way, where there there are some diamonds in the rough. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, no filmmaker has made a Halloween movie half as good as the original. Well, sure, just hasn't happened. But there are ones that I like. I mean, I I, I actually am quite fond of the third one, which yeah, um, yeah. Some of that there's a little bit of so bad it's good in some of Halloween three. A little bit, like I I watched Halloween three back in like April, mm. and I had seen it, but not for a few years. And I watched it again, and I remember thinking that if this was not a Halloween movie, I think it would be remembered as sort of an under the radar gem. Mm-hmm. I think if it was, you know, it would be it would have like you know like a big. Uh, shout factory type, you know, deluxe yeah. Blu-ray reissue. At well, I think some it point. might have that now. Actually, <laughs> that's you know. true. Because I mean, you said earlier it has kind of been reclaimed over the years. Yeah, yeah. By by like the bit by like the horror heads, by like mm-hmm. the hardcore horror people. I think they've saying Halloween three sucks is kind of a tired talking point in those communities. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that that one kind of drags a little bit. Mm-hmm. And but it's got such a great concept. It does. It's a great concept. It's got th- that great kind of uh, creepy jingle that comes into play. Mm-hmm. Super downbeat ending. Here, let's uh, play the jingle real quick. Okay, yeah, let's let's play the jingle. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy So that's the Halloween three. <laughs> they play it over and over time. and over and over in the movie, <laughs> and, and it's, it's like, so insidious. And um, you just start laughing after a while because they play it so many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the th- it has an extremely downbeat ending mm-hmm. that I appreciate. There's shades of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. There in it. are, yeah. In it fact, re- I think the town they go to is the uh, is the town Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, the really? I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. Yeah. Um, it reminds me also of like uh, the movie Dead and Buried, mm. which is another kind of slow burn '80s, early '80s horror movie set in like a California coastal town where yeah. strange things are afoot. <laughs> <laughs> Great gore effects in it mm-hmm. too. There's some really mm-hmm. gross bugs and snakes shit in this movie. Yeah, it's and some kind of slightly ahead of its time kind of like social commentary. You didn't mm-hmm. see it that explicit in horror movies so much at that time. Also a ridiculous main character who's <laughs> this kind of middle-aged Lothario. 
Yeah, he he yells a lot. He's a big yeller. <laughs> and has a couple of sexy sex scenes. Well, yes, they're he not does. sexy, but Yes, he does. You uh, get to see him naked for sure. <laughs> if you've never seen listeners, if you've never seen Halloween 3, and I imagine if you're listening to a podcast about the Halloween series, you probably have. But if there's anybody out there who hasn't seen Halloween 3, it really is worth a look. It, it's yeah. it's such an interesting curiosity. Yeah, you can watch it entirely on its own. Yep. And I, I would go as far to say that it's the best of the Halloween sequels mm. in part because it does not have the obligation to be Halloween. Right. To try to live up to Halloween. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of like Michael Myers Halloween sequels, okay, my personal opinion is two's all right. Mm-hmm. Two's not, not horrible. It's very straightforward. It's just a straight bloodbath, which is, you know, perfectly fine and acceptable thing for a slasher movie to be, frankly. I like three, but three is doing its own thing. You can skip all the way over four and five. Like, forget all that stuff. <laughs> Six has its defenders, but I am not one of them. <laughs> I, could, I think you could go, you could watch Halloween, Halloween 2, and skip straight to H2O. Yeah. Now, I, I'm, I'm something of an H2O defender, which is a weird position to be in because I saw that movie when it came to theaters <laughs> and I didn't think it was any masterpiece or anything. Uh, but, I, but for a couple reasons, I think that it does attempt some, it does make some attempt to return the franchise to a degree of suspense that mm-hmm. had been lost over the years. Because they, you're right, that they had kind of turned into bloodbaths. And at a certain point, once you reach the fourth or fifth film in the series, they're kind of indistinguishable in their own way from Yeah, they, the fourth and the slasher. fifth film really run together. Right. I mean, and, and they run together, I think, with a whole decade worth of other slasher movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's, there's nothing really... Materially, there's nothing that different about Halloween 5 and a Friday the 13th movie. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're pretty similar, ultimately. But H2O says, like, returns the franchise to some degree, at least an attempt at suspense. Mm. It's not as well made as Carpenter's by any stretch of the imagination. But the other thing about it that I think really works is this was the first time that Jamie Lee Curtis had come back to the franchise since the second film. Yeah. And I think her arc as somebody who was grappling with her trauma, it's... Obviously, the, the, the David Gordon Green films Did get this into as that well. as well. I think H2O does it better. I mean, I think the way H2O does it is honestly more realistic. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I know people that have been through like kind of terrible things and they really try to not talk about it in the exactly. way that Laurie tries to not talk about it in H2O, you know, less so mm-hmm. than in uh, Halloween 2018 where she makes it her whole thing. Which is – it's that's an interesting parallel, I think. I, yeah. I think it is interesting to um, – to to uh, for, to give Jamie Lee Curtis the opportunity to play two different versions of a Laurie Strode who's grown up, mm-hmm. you know, because they both they're very different approaches. In the David Gordon Green ones, she is somebody, yeah, who's as you said, made it her whole thing. She's somebody. She's her basically, whole life is based around this, right? It's almost like uh, I liken it to uh, what happens to Sarah Connor in T two. Mm-hmm. It's like she has transformed herself into like a survivalist mm-hmm. in anticipation of Michael coming back. Yeah. In H2O, she has basically just done everything in her her power to put it behind her to the point of, like, I almost want to repress all this. Yeah, yeah. And to the point where her – one of the characters in the movie is her son. Her son doesn't even seem to know that much about it. Right, right. That to me is a more interesting idea, frankly. Um, I mean, I I personally think it's more realistic, but, like, you know, whatever. I I think that Halloween 2018 got into the family dynamics of Mm – that sort of situation in an interesting way. But I think the way that Lori herself responds to what happened to her, I think that H2O did a better job with that. Can we agree also that um, in terms of setting up a title fight between Lori Strode and Michael Myers all these years later that H2O does it better? Dude, the last 20 minutes of H2O, like you're just like, yeah, get him, Lori, get him. Terrific. I don't yeah. I don't want to. I would have stood up and like cheered if I had seen it in a theater. Yes. I'd have been like, yeah, get him. The end of H2O is such a perfect punctuation on this franchise. It honestly makes me mad that they kept making it. Yeah, it's, uh, this is what I was teasing earlier. This is where you think they should have just ended just, it. It's, it's such a perfect. And you can tell the movie is attempting for it to be the end. Mm-hmm. The movie is like, we are going to, we're going to buck some trends here. A lot of slasher sequels will, uh, you know, the uh, the end will be a tease that maybe so-and-so is coming back. You know, the, the nightmare is not over, that sort of thing. H2O does not fuck around. <laughs> no, H2O is like, all. this is it. 
We're done. Like, <laughs> you know? Okay, so the last, if you haven't seen H2O, the last 20 minutes of it are basically Lori being like, fuck this. And she just, she uh, smashes some glass, grabs a fire axe, and yells like, come and get me. Yeah. And that's the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yep. And it's... It's awesome, honestly. <laughs> if you haven't seen H2O, I know that it's not terribly well received. I think even by Halloween fans don't love it. Uh, they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's a perfectly okay movie. And I think in the context of this series, one of the better ones. And if you haven't seen it, you deserve you deserve to treat yourself to at least the ending of this movie, which is fucking rules. You know what? Every horror fan gets one slasher sequel that they will just defend into the ground. And I'm okay with Halloween H2O being film club's Yes. Entry. That's our movie. You heard that's it the here one first. H2O is the one we're going to. Yeah, the... we're going to go to bat for that one. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Whereas uh, Anya Stanley, one of our contributors to the site, will die on the hill of Halloween 6. Yep. That's her particular <laughs> thing that she will just, she will not budge on that. <laughs> I'm curious. She's she, she, Obviously, she's not here. Uh, does she prefer, there's, there's an assembly cut of that film, is there not? That's made the rounds? I'm sure there is. I don't. I don't know. We'd have to ask her. Yeah, I wonder if that's her preferred version because I th- I do think there's a version that's never been brought to DVD or Blu-ray mm-hmm. that just but you can get your hands on if you go through the right sure, channels. Sure, if you're savvy about these things. Exactly. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> um, and that version I think plays up the uh, one of the um, I think one of the more controversial aspects of it, which is this. There's this whole cult around Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know that he that he's this that that's one that really deals with the idea that he is a supernatural force. Yeah, I was going to say, that's one of the more supernatural Halloween sequels. Totally. Um, okay, so let's let's just skate on by Resurrection, which is just truly awful. Yeah, and forget it. I also think, uh, I, one thing I will say about it is that there's a very funny scene in it where Buster Rhymes basically shames Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah. He basically, like, yells at him, and Michael Myers kind of looks sad. He does his little tilt to the head, tilt to the side thing. Yeah. yeah. It <laughs> just kind of walks off, which is, it's, that that movie is very silly and very, like, scraping the fucking bottom of the barrel. <laughs> so it, it, it actually doesn't surprise me that after that one, they were like, we need it went a, dormant we, we need a hard years, yeah. reset. You know, mm-hmm. um, so the next Halloween film we got was Rob Zombie's Halloween. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. This is one area where I suspect history will prove me wrong because I've talked a lot of shit about Rob Zombie over the years. Yeah. And I maintain that his last couple films were just bad. No, bad, I mean, his bad, last bad, couple bad, are, are are atrocious, in my opinion, as but well. But there seems to be a uh, wellspring of zombie revisionism bubbling up. And uh, I mean, he I has have a feeling his... that. I'm going to be on the wrong side of history on this one. <laughs> well, I mean, he has his staunch defenders, and I think, um, without getting too deeply into this, I think Zombie is somebody who I think is is very there, – there are people in horror circles who I think – who are very protective of the genre, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a little – I would almost call it a little bit of a culture war between what's seen as real horror – Horror without pretensions, mm-hmm. and the kind of um, the elevated horror we talked about last year. Yeah, we did a whole episode. Yeah, the, the, this sort of uh, critic adored, mm-hmm. slow burn, uh, sort of self consciously um, upscale horror. But the thing is, Rob Zombie does have aspirations towards you, you like the cinematography in his films is ambitious. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I think that people who love Zombie's films, I think, would make the case that he's the perfect example of somebody who doesn't have to be pretentious. To just make a good horror movie. Yeah, and his and his Halloween movies are some of his. I I mean I enjoy House of a Thousand Corpses. Like I think that's mm. a pretty good movie, but um, it's when you get into later. Like what was it called? Thirty one. Thirty one. Oh, yeah. That bad. But uh, his Halloween movies are interesting because they kind of set the table for the mo- the more recent re- David Gordon Green reboot, and that his movies are very very brutal. Yeah, no, the no. Violence no. is very brutal in Rob Zombie's Halloweens, and I think there, yeah, some of that brutality I think made the the leap into uh, into the green ones for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah, I mean, one we could talk all day about Rob Zombie too. I think I, I'm not a big fan, and um, but I, again, I don't want to derail just getting into like I all said, the reasons why. I'm awaiting my tribunal <laughs> on this one. Um, I will say that what felt uh, there was a fundamental problem with his Halloween, and it's not that he decided to. Um, to steep the series in his customary, um, he's like gritty. His aesthetic is very like roadside, 
carnival where yes. like the rides don't work and everything's kind of <laughs> gritty and dirty. A kind of but, appreciation you know. for impoverished America as well. Yeah, you know? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of uh, America's – some of America's seedier corners mm-hmm. one could say as well. Yeah, he's a big fan of that uh, redneck chic kind of aesthetic. Yeah, exactly. So that makes it into the movie and I don't object to that honestly. I mean that's just – that's a – that's, it's a style. That's a look and it's a style and it's, it, at least it gave Halloween it – made, it, made, it was a Halloween movie that felt uniquely its own for maybe the first time since Carpenter's. Uh, that being said, uh, I think the problem with his Halloween, with the first one anyway, is that it kind of wants it both ways. It wants to present um, Michael Myers the way that Carpenter did mm-hmm. as – as the shape, as a force yeah. of, of pure evil. Yeah, let's well, let's outline that for a minute. So when he will talk about Halloween, um, John Carpenter, if you ask him about Michael Myers, he says that Michael Myers is like a symbol. He's he's evil. He's death. He is not really a person. He's not really a character. He's an elemental force. Yeah. And, and like you were saying, Rob Zombie's movies were actually pretty controversial when they came out because they gave uh, Michael Myers quite a bit of backstory. Well, and that's my issue, honestly. It is not that that's a – if you want to go in that direction, go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Michael Myers as a, as a character with psychology. Mm-hmm. Sure, let's do it. But the movie kind of um, – it, it kind of hedges. It basically yeah. – in the end – the Michael Myers that we get is basically the Michael Myers from Carpenter's film. Right. It's just that he's now been – the movie has applied all this uh, all this backstory. I just remember the white in the horse asylum. from his Halloween yeah. too. <laughs> I just think his – Zombies films don't make up their mind about whether or not he is uh, a character who has psychology or a force of evil. And they feel – to me, they feel divided against themselves for that reason. Mm. Now his Halloween too has aged better than his first Halloween. I think so. Very much so. For one thing because it does – break from because at a certain point the the remake becomes Halloween 1978 mm-hmm. it does it just becomes a more violent less elegant version of right. that the sequel uh to some extent does its own thing and wh- i think one of the, the the more clever things that it does is that the opening sequence of the film there's this long really well done opening sequence in in zombies halloween 2 where lori is in the hospital and Michael comes to kill her. Mm-hmm. And uh, those who remember the original Halloween 2 know that a lot of that movie takes place in the hospital. Yep. But it turns in this film, it turns out to be a dream sequence. It, so Zombie is kind of playing with the idea that he – it's almost like he he remakes Halloween 2 in miniature and then moves on to his own version. His own version. He said, yeah. this is this is what you were expecting and now I'm going to do my own thing. Exactly. Yep. yep. Um, and I will say that uh, I'm not – again, I'm not a big fan of Rob Zombie, but some of his most elegant filmmaking is in Halloween 2, believe mm-hmm, it or not. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. there are some – I think there are some really I, great set pieces. I haven't watched that movie since it came out in the theaters, but I did see it in the theater. And I remember there being one, like, genuinely harrowing sequence where I think it's the main character. She's in, like, a van. Mm. And Michael Myers is, like, stabbing through the side of the van and the top of the van. And she's, like, jumping away from the knife. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. There's there's also there's a sequence where because uh, I mean, at a certain point in the movie, Michael Myers is kind of making his way across the country. He's coming back to mm-hmm. Haddonfield, and he it's sort of this this some of this road trip portion of the movie where he's just sort of killing people along the way, <laughs> and uh, there's this whole sequence where he kills a couple people in the headlights of a car, and it's just it's it's such an expressionistic piece of filmmaking mm-hmm. on Zombie's part, and you can sort of see I think one of the things that bums me out about his recent films is that they're so cheap yeah and, and so um they're so inelegant in mm-hmm. a lot of ways in their filmmaking which uh is a change because i think that zombie Z- Z- zombie likes to i think he's a provocateur at heart and he Absolutely. likes to shock people well he was like a you know, shock rocker in the 90s right. you know <laughs> with his band totally yeah yeah and, and there's i think there's a lot of that is in his filmmaking but there is an elegance to some of it too and i think that halloween 2 might be the peak of him as an elegant as an image maker and as somebody who is interested in uh, filmmaking as a way to uh, to move people through imagery. Yeah, and, you know, and that's very in the spirit of the original Halloween, yeah. I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then we have the newest reboot, which yeah. is David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. I remember when these movies were announced, I was writing uh, film news for AV Club at mm-hmm. the time. I remember it was a huge deal because they had done it with Carpenter's Blessing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That. That. that uh, and they were bringing. You know. So they were bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis. But yes. Also, John Carpenter was uh, was on board. He was yeah, doing he, the music. He for signed it. off for the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. But again, Carpenter. Carpenter's been rather clear over the years that if you pay him, 
He'll do whatever. He really doesn't give a shit. It's not that hard to get Carpenter's Blessing. I just feel like this was more publicized with this one. Yeah, they really made it like a cornerstone of the announcement. That totally. like this, they presented the idea to John Carpenter and he loved it. Yeah. And it is true that the part that maybe they were leaving out is he loved even more the number of zeros on the check they wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I feel like you and I uh, are like two of the only people on this 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 dear planet that don't think much of of green, oh, the twenty eighteen Halloween of the twenty eight Halloween. I think that I went back and watched it again the other day, and I liked it even less the second time I watched it. The first time I thought it was, like, it was fine. It was, like, I mean, yeah, that movie is, like, really hard for me to uh, disentangle from the moment, Mm -hmm. you know, because it was very of its moment in the sense that they were, like, oh, no, we're going to do, we're going to go back to basics, and we're really going to, it's about the victims, and it's about trauma, and we're going to use a lot of, um, yeah, fancy camera work. You know, yeah. like, and and that was all really what was going on at the time. And so they were successful at plugging into the zeitgeist with this movie. I'll say that about it. But, yeah, when it goes back, a lot of when it is, tr- I, like, I think that trying to make a Halloween movie that is, quote, unquote, about something bigger might be a fundamental mistake. Because what these movies, what makes them what they are is the elegant simplicity of it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and I think ultimately they run into, like, exactly how much can this thing have a philosophical backbone when it essentially is a series of scenes of Michael Myers killing people. Right. You know, there's yeah, not a lot of... Yeah, and you can overlay other themes on that. top of that all you want. Right. But, like, in the end, you have to you have to reckon with the fundamental pleasure of watching a Halloween movie. Like, we don't need to litigate, like... Yeah. Whether it's problematic to enjoy watching people die in a movie or not, but I mean, for a lot of people, it is like a very like primal kind of kick. It's like, ha ha, they're dead and I'm alive. Woo! <laughs> like that's like yeah. the that's the that's the animal part of reaction to a, a slasher movie. Yeah, and I think that they don't either. Either they don't, they aren't equipped to, or they haven't really thought through how to reconcile that with. Like having bigger themes, I think I, I think Halloween 2018 has an interesting idea on paper. Again, I think it it's uh, sort of unapologetically plagiaristic of Halloween H2O, <laughs> which the movie would like the audience to forget. In, yeah, in part so it's that the audience. It's kind of a damning detail, especially when you look at the new one, Halloween Kills, which lifts a plot point from a different disavowed Halloween yeah. sequel. It's kind of like, guys, you're really trying to have it both ways here. <laughs> yeah, I mean these films. They go out of their way. I mean, this is a very this is a very modern blockbuster technique of basically saying, in order to make this feel special and different than just another sequel, mm-hmm. we are going to position this as a direct sequel. Mm-hmm. The idea is that all those movies you didn't like, we're throwing those out. They're gone. This like, sorry you had to deal with those. This new one, this one is really the sequel you've been waiting for the mm-hmm. whole time. It's it's a marketing gimmick ultimately, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm especially bothered by it with Green's film because I feel like on some level, the movie basically says says to its audience, all those Halloween films that happen in between are are gone. They're not in the continuity anymore. They don't exist. And then the the film turns around and walks very much in their footsteps. I mean, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, this is not so different than the various sequels we got to Halloween over the years. I mean, there's plenty of... Um, it. I do think it has more in common with something like Halloween 2, the original Halloween right. 2, than it does with the original Halloween. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. And another interesting thing about this series that sometimes it works for me. I know it doesn't really work for you in any case, but uh, Danny McBride, the comedian, mm-hmm. co-wrote and like he executive produces these new movies and he's worked with David Gordon Green the director for a long time so it makes sense but they they try to put more comedy into these movies yeah. um they have comedy and then they also they amp up the comedy and the brutality of the kills and i think that that's another element that they just either didn't think through or aren't capable of balancing tonally yeah no i, I don't think they i mean I like David Gordon Green in general, and, uh, you know, I've He's had right. a complicated relationship to his work over the years. I remember for a long time I felt I felt a weird amount of uh, – as as a critic and a cinephile, I felt almost betrayed by his turn to 
stoner comedy, and now I look yeah. back, I look back on feeling that way. And, and just, those movies are super tonally inconsistent too. They are <laughs> stoner comedies are very tonally inconsistent. <laughs> I mean, I, I look back on that time and think that like Green should make the movies he wants to make. Who am I to tell him what kind of movie sure, to make? Sure, you like, know, whatever. If, if he wants to to stop making Junior Terrence Malick movies and start making stoner comedies, that's his business, and right. Let's let him be the, the filmmaker he wants to be. But I don't think that he always uh, he's always the right fit for material necessarily. Mm. And I, watching the 2018 Halloween, I mean, he's got a lot of chops as a filmmaker. There there's some really well directed sequences in the film. Sure. But I don't know if he gets the tone right. And, and I really do think that the intrusions of comedy, well, well, they do make this a distinctive Halloween film. Mm-hmm. He also has a and bad it, habit of stepping on his own scares. Yeah, he steps on his own scares, right? Like the 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 brutality undercuts the comedy, and the comedy undercuts the scares. Yeah. And so you're just and so yeah, it ends up being very messy. Yep. The and other thing about this, the new one is uh, exponentially more so than <laughs> the 2018 Halloween. This is a very messy movie. Again, if you'd like to hear our thoughts on that, we have a bonus episode this week as well, talking about Halloween kills. Like Halloween 2018. At least keeps it relatively straightforward with the storyline. Yeah. But the new one adds all these different subplots and stuff, and it's just like, no, too far. (laughs) Too far for me. Um, the other thing about the 2018 Halloween that bugs me—I mean, I, I, clearly a lot of things about it bug me. This I'm is not turned into the <laughs> Halloween gripe hour. Yeah, it's just a rant <laughs> about this movie, you know. I don't know. Certain movies just bug you, and I think the fact that this one was so well received probably fueled that a little bit for me. But uh, one of the things that bugs—well, shot. No, it's 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 it certainly is well shot and it's well made and it's uh, reasonably well acted. Mm-hmm. I like Jamie Lee Curtis in it. It's fun to see her do this spin on Laurie Strode. It's not, Judy Greer's in the mix. We love Judy Greer. Yes, we do. Um, there was but, that one funny kid who yells "Shut up, Dave." <laughs> okay, uh, I, I might I might lump one. that in the. This thing doesn't need as much comedy as it has. Okay, but. fair enough. But I like that one kid, the one babysitting kid who's like, nope, and like runs out of the house when Michael Myers comes. I was like, yeah. That's See, a, but that's a that's prime a example. Kid. He like jumps out of the closet, stabs this woman, and that moment is not even over before the kid makes a joke. And I just feel like you're just the kid's a so- sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just feel like why not let let us feel fear for a second mm. you know let us mm-hmm. let us mm-hmm. let us uh, absorb the horror a little bit okay you don't have to undercut it so much um but i think i think one of my major issues with the film is that it it has this um it has this kind of fan service reverence for the original and that it's repeating certain shots it's certainly it's a legacy sequel in in the way that we discussed already not just in in that it is uh, negating all the films that came that, that came between uh, it and in the original Halloween, mm-hmm. but also that it, it's literally like it, it, it's literally like borrowing shots from the original Halloween, tweaking them. There's like a moment where Laurie is standing exactly where Michael was in, a, in, a, in an iconic shot from the original. But it feels like all that stuff is a super a superficial appreciation of the original Halloween, mm. and that none of that film's values really made it into the 2018. Well, one. certainly not the simplicity. Yeah, or the suspense, really. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, again, his and his so one is as violent as the sequels. sequels are like that. Yeah, so many nowadays. Like yeah. when we're recording this, we're in the uh, aftermath of Ghostbusters Afterlife yeah. reviews coming out. <laughs> oh boy! Neither of us have seen that yet, but yes, the review. A lot of the reviews. Uh, there's a trend in the reviews for that film, the early ones, that that the film is exceptionally reverent about Ghostbusters to the point where it's. Um, kind of com- comical by accident. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's well, well. It's like uh, it's like constantly trotting out things that people like objects that people loved from yeah. Ghostbusters. There is a certain like jangling keys in front of a baby quality to a lot of these legacy sequels. It's like, look, look at yeah. this. You know what this is, and you're supposed to go yay and clap. Right, exactly. Like I find it insulting personally. Uh, give me a second. I'm suddenly concerned. Okay, it's still moving. It was just. Oh, okay. It was so far over oh, that I was like, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, I was about to, like, Ugh. It would really suck if this yeah. didn't record. For sure. Um, Let, let's let's go on to the last point. We've bitched about Yeah, yeah. Sequels. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, can, we can move on from, from Halloween. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I guess my final question about Halloween is, mm-hmm. um, is there somewhere interesting this franchise should can still go? You know, uh, is there a way to, to make these movies interesting again? Or should... You know, I mean, obviously, there's one more Halloween movie coming next October. Halloween ends. 
which do you promise? I, I feel like <laughs> that, that title that title will prove a lie the minute that Halloween ends makes a ton of I money. Will I will say like. it does talk about undercutting your own scares. The fact that they've already announced that there's going to be another one. Yeah. Like. Well, it sort of feels like of watching Halloween Kills, like, you know, we know that this thing won't provide not, any None closure. of this is going to stick. Right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a middle installment, mm-hmm. you know. I, th- that's it. Well. Well, we're going to get into that when we talk about Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I feel like th- there's only – you get to a certain point with this franchise where um, it, it really is just giving you the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's enough to keep Michael in, in – you know, to keep Michael profitable. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're going to keep making these movies so long as people go, go and see them. Yeah. And maybe it's it's a lot to ask of a slasher franchise that it actually do something different. Um, but – I don't know if they need to do something different is the thing. I think that where Halloween sequels end up going wrong a lot is when they start overthinking it. Mm, Okay. And that I think that, you know, I think that this is incredibly intimidating and not a lot of filmmakers could pull it off. But I think that if you wanted to do a remake of Halloween that was in the style of Carpenter's where it is, you know, very um, streamlined and it is all about suspense and it's Hitchcockian and all that kind of stuff, that, that, that would... I'd like that. Well, I, but I guess my response back to, to basics, so to speak. My response to that would be twofold. Mm. Um, one, if you're going to do a remake in the style of Carpenter's original, you know, why not just watch? Why not Carpenter's? just watch the original? Cause, it's cause always the question. It's probably though, yeah. not going to top Carpenter, honestly. No, you know? well, that's why I said it's intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, um, I, I would almost just rather see filmmakers take lessons from that film instead mm. of just giving us more Halloween. I actually yeah. think the best. Halloween offspring, maybe, is it is it follows. Yeah, totally. Which I think that there is a lot of, I mean, we talked at the beginning of this episode, we talked about how Halloween, one of the things that Halloween does, one of the reasons it remains scary is that it's about the inevitability of death coming for you. It's right. just this force that comes for you. And I think it follows, runs with that idea. It does. You know? It very much does. It's it's very uh, primal in that same way. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's this thing that's coming to get you and there's nothing you can do about it. Yep. Yep. And uh, that's a film that uses the camera in a, in a way that I think Carpenter would appreciate if he yeah if he ever the put staging and it follows down. was very good yeah yeah, yeah. I mean like um, like you can see the values of Halloween in the way that it's staged mm-hmm. it's not about Michael Myers but it is to me that feels more in the spirit of the original Halloween than most of the sequels yeah I know I feel like this is something that comes up a lot you know like when critics talk about like what we'd like to see and the answer is always like why don't you just make a new movie that can launch a new franchise but unfortunately the business doesn't if it ever worked that way it certainly doesn't seem to yeah (laughs) so maybe you know okay well if we can't have that ideal thing of more movies like it follows that are in the spirit of Mm. halloween but aren't following the letter necessarily what if you know you Went back to that Halloween three. Well, if you yeah. gotta slap the name Halloween on it, fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost wish that had, that had happened because Halloween three. Uh, I think one of the reasons that it works is that it it has some of the atmosphere of the original Halloween. It just applies it to a different idea. Yeah. So why not? You know, I, I like the idea of more franchises that are that are sort of. Tonal continuations as opposed to plot or premise continuations. Mm-hmm. continuations you and, know? You, and producers, you can put the name Halloween on it. That's fine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween Kills is out now in theaters and streaming on Peacock. And if you'd like to hear our thoughts about that film, we've got a bonus episode all about Halloween Kills that's also up on the site now. And while you're at it, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Film Club wherever you get your podcasts. This week's episode of Film Club was hosted by me, Alex Dowd, and by Katie Reif. Produced by Carl Blomberg, our sound mixer and finishing editor is Zach Goldsboro, and our motion graphics designer is Julie Mullins. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. Thanks, folks. Bye. Bye.